Okay, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Galatians chapter 5. We'll look at verses 22 and 23 this morning. And the text is also printed there in the bulletin on the next page. A text that we will recite together in just a minute. Uh, So we're in a series on the fruit of the Spirit. We're taking 10 weeks to uh, go through it leading up to Christmas. The fruit of the Spirit, just really simply, the fruit of the Spirit is what happens when uh, your life is filled up with the life of God. That's kind of the simple version of it. It's what your life produces, the fruit that your life produces, uh, somewhat organically, spiritually speaking, uh, when your life is filled up with the life of God. When the Spirit lives in you, you bear the fruit of the Spirit. There's one man who has the Spirit without measure, whose life is so filled up with the life of God that he has grown all of these fruit to perfect maturity, and that man is Jesus. And through our relationship with Jesus, his spirit dwells in us and brings forth the same fruit that we see in the life of Jesus, brings it forth in our lives. So we're looking at the ways that the life of Jesus, the character of Jesus himself, can become ours and be grown in us by the spirit. So today we're looking at faithfulness. God is faithful. Jesus is faithful. And Jesus' own faithfulness can become ours vicariously. That's, that's how we put it. That's, what, that's how sa- our salvation works. That's how the whole Christian life works, is that whatever is true of Jesus in his life with God, as our representative, becomes true of us through our spiritual union with him vicariously. His life comes alive in us vicariously. So through our relationship with Jesus, we can become faithful. That's what we'll talk about this morning. So let me pray, then we'll read scripture together. Father, you've said that you want all of us to grow into the the full maturity of the image of Jesus, your Son. So by your Spirit, as we hear the word of Christ now, we pray that you'd meet each one of us where we are and grow each one of us as we need to be grown in the ways that only you can do in your gracious love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, together. The fruit of the Spirit is love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as we consider uh, how Christ's faithfulness can become ours vicariously, and how his faithfulness can be grown in us by the life of God in us, by the Holy Spirit, we should try to understand what in general the Bible means by faithfulness. So um, you might wonder what the difference is between faith and faithfulness, because those words are so similar, and faith is such a big deal for Christians. You know, what's, what's the real distinction between faith and faithfulness, between being full of faith on the one hand or being faithful on the other hand? Uh, see, in the English language, there's a difference between faith and faithfulness conceptually. Uh, they share the same root, right, that word faith shows up in both of them. They share the same root word in English, but they have different meanings. So faith, on the one hand, means trust, to trust, to believe, right? Uh, Faithfulness means trustworthiness, being trustworthy. Faith, on the one hand, means reliance, relying upon. Faithfulness means being reliable. So when someone has faith in God then we say that that person believes God's word. 
when someone is faithful to God, we say that that person is committed to God's word. At least that's the difference that we find in the English words, the difference between faith and faithfulness. Um, In the New Testament Greek, there's no difference. There are not two words. There's one word, pistis, which is translated either faith or faithfulness, sort of depending on the context of how we understand that word is being used. And it would seem to indicate, then, that those concepts, which don't just share a root word, they're the same word, they're probably more one concept than two concepts. Um, So I think there's a way uh, that we can understand faith and faithfulness to be basically the same thing in terms of how it's used in the Bible. In terms of how the Bible talks about it, faith and faithfulness can both be described as the exclusively loyal, steadfast persuasion of truth, the truth of God's word, that is both inwardly real, that thing that we usually associate more with faith, and then also outwardly attested, testified to, the thing that we think about more with regard to faithfulness, bearing faithful witness, right? So it's the exclusively loyal, steadfast persuasion of the truth of God's word that is both inwardly real and outwardly attested. Um, So faith and faithfulness, with this kind of thing in mind, they can both be described as basically we're just talking about clinging to Jesus. Clinging to Jesus alone for salvation, not just privately, but also publicly. In a way that makes an actual difference in our lives. Bill Mounts is the guy who writes the books on how to learn biblical Greek that you'll read if you go to seminary or uh, learn biblical Greek in college or whatever. Uh, and he defines this word, pistis, which is translated either faith or faithfulness. He defines this word this way. It's trust with an implication that action based on that trust may follow. It's not mere trust. Not, not some trust that's divorced from the rest of your life. Right? Pistis doesn't just mean a passive, receptive faith. It actually means a living trust, an active faith, an insistent faith, a persevering faith. That's the kind of faith that God talks about in the scriptures and the kind of faithfulness that we find there. So when the author of Hebrews defines this simple word, pistis, in uh, chapter 11 of Hebrews, he says that faith, pistis, is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Assurance and conviction, right? So, So clearly faith is this internal persuasion of the truth of God's word may not seem like God's word is true. We don't always see how God's word is true when we judge by the circumstances of our lives, but it's this internal conviction, it's this assurance that's God, that God's word is true. But it's also something that's manifested outwardly in the lives of all the Old Testament saints that the author lists through chapter 11, because this is the chapter about faith, and this is what faith looks like, right? Especially as these people faced trials and temptations to disbelieve God's word, to forsake God's word, they remained faithful. That's what faith is. That's what faithfulness is. So faith and faithfulness can both be described just as holding fast to the word of the gospel for life, holding on for dear life, 
holding fast to the word and refusing all the alternatives, all the rivals, all the counterfeits, refusing all pressure to relinquish your, your grasp on the gospel. <clears throat> We've done precisely the opposite of this in our sin. We've done the, precisely the opposite of holding fast to the word and forsaking all alternatives. We've done the opposite. We've refused the true way of life and rejected God's word. And we've embraced any and every alternative. That's what we do when we sin. In the garden, our first parents were called to faith and to faithful witness, to cling to God's word, to hold fast to God's word privately for themselves in a way that publicly manifested itself, to cling to God's declared reality inwardly in such a way that became visible in their, in their lives outwardly. It wasn't just something they kept for themselves privately or secretly. It made a difference in their lives. It was supposed to. But they lost faith in God's word, and they were unfaithful to, um, to bear witness to God's word in the face of the serpent's pressure. They were disloyal in their disbelief. In their doubt. Their doubt testified against the goodness and the truth of God's word. Their faithfulness faltered. When they began to believe that God didn't hold forth for them the best reality, the best option in his word. That's when their faith faltered and their faithfulness turned to unfaithfulness. They didn't cling to God with persistent, real, committed faith. They didn't hold on to him for life. And this is what happens every time that we live as if God were not real. It happens every time we live as if God had not spoken, as if God had not sent his son into the world, as if God meant nothing to us. We're unfaithful when we do not hold fast to the gospel when we do not bear faithful witness to the goodness and the truth of God's reality. We're unfaithful when we embrace alternatives for life with God, when we give ourselves to things like the pursuits of pleasure or power or wealth. When we go hard after those things, we're saying basically that they're better lovers than God is, that they know how to give us what we really need. Every time we disregard The first commandment, to have no other gods before Yahweh, the one true God, we have been unfaithful, and the Bible says we've committed spiritual adultery. Right? So earthly marriage, that's uh, usually where we have this picture of what faithfulness is or what it's supposed to be, what we hope it could be in an earthly marriage. Right? Earthly marriage is given to us as a picture of our relationship with God that is supposed to be characterized by loyal devotion and faithfulness. In a marriage that is at least the ones that are meant to reflect the biblical picture of the relationship, a man and a woman make covenant promises to each other. They do that at their wedding. They take these marital vows, right? The bride and groom promise to love, honor, and cherish each other, to forsake the same kind of intimacy with all others. To forsake, it's, it's an exclusive devotion. To faithfully love each other in sickness and in health in plenty and in want, in joy and in sorrow, as long as they both shall live. They promise to love each other. They promise to allow no rivals to their love. 
Not just when that's convenient and comfortable and everything's happy and nice. Not just when it's easy, but at all times. And the only thing that can bring an end to it is death. Marital faithfulness is a commitment to a person. It's not just an abstract virtue. It's a commitment to a person. It's a commitment to a relationship. A faithful spouse is just about the most life-giving, anchoring, beautiful, freeing gift of love that we can experience in our earthly relationships. A faithful spouse. But when your spouse breaks faith, it ruins your whole world. And God says that when his people sin, it's like his wife has broken faith. She's violated that most sacred relationship and allowed rival lovers into her life. Because, you see, as members of the church, we have made spiritual vows, something like the marital vows that bride and groom take. We've made those vows as members of the church. And the first one, the main one, that we think of is to receive and rest upon Christ alone for salvation as he's offered in the gospel. To entrust ourselves to him, to believe him and to be faithful to him, exclusively devoted to him, to receive and rest on him alone as he's offered in the gospel. We've promised exclusive spiritual fidelity to forsake all other gods, only and always to find our life, our real life with God in our relationship with Jesus. But we still sin and we still look for life in other places and with other gods. And the good news is that God keeps faith with us. He remains faithful to us, even though we've been unfaithful to him. Most of the time, when you find the word faithfulness in the Bible... Almost all the time, it's being, to, being used to describe how God is actually toward unfaithful people like us. That's who he is. It says in Exodus 34, when he revealed himself to Moses on the mountain, one of those really central moments that we find in uh, biblical history, <clears throat> he proclaimed himself to be the God who is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Faithfulness is an aspect of his nature. It's an aspect of his being. As the God who is three who will never forsake each other, faithfulness comes from God. It characterizes and describes the love of the Trinity. The Father is faithful to the Son, and the Son is faithful to the Father in the perfect spirit of faithfulness. So the commitment of the divine persons to each other, it's eternal, and it's perfect. And it's unfailing. And they have always been and they will always be thoroughly devoted and loyal. And they will never violate their relationships or else God would cease to be God. And this God, who is so faithful in himself and to himself and in his, in his triune relationships, this God is as faithful to you as he is to himself. The triune God will never forsake his people or else he would cease to be the God that he is. Even though we forsake him in our sin, he will never forsake us. When our faithfulness to him has failed at the slightest temptation, thinking a piece of fruit 
is a better reality than, than the one revealed to us by God in his word. Our faithfulness has failed at the slightest temptation. His faithfulness to us has stood every test. In Jesus Christ, God has pledged himself to us in sickness and in health, in plenty and in want, in joy and in sorrow. He's made that vow that he will never break. Jesus has been faithful to us, even at the point of death. In fact, <clears throat> where, where we would be released from things like our marital vows till death do us part. God remains faithful with a love that is stronger than death, not even death will end his faithfulness to us. As Jesus remains faithful to his people in his resurrection now and beyond and forever, we can be assured that he will never leave us or forsake us. He will hold fast to us. He will open himself up to us. He will profess his love for us and remain committed to us privately for himself and publicly for all the world to see forever and ever. And not only this, but as our human representative, that's sometimes he's called our substitute and sometimes he's called our vicar because he's our representative. As our representative, he has restored the faith and the faithfulness of humanity toward God. As a human being, Jesus has held fast to the word of God for his life. He's confessed faith in his father, both inwardly and outwardly. As a human being, Jesus has been perfectly, as perfectly devoted to God as God has been devoted to his people through thick and thin. So Psalm 15 asks the question, uh, basically puts it this way, who will be truly at home in God's presence? Who will make his home in God's own home? And part of the answer that uh, the psalmist gives Psalm 15, verse 4 says, He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. He who makes a pledge, he who makes a vow, he who commits himself, even when it hurts, he remains faithful. He who makes a covenant promise and keeps it in all faithfulness, even when it costs him everything, this is the one who will be welcome in God's eternal and holy presence, and that describes Jesus doesn't describe me in and of myself. It describes Jesus, who stayed true to God, even though it led to the cross. And now, now because of this, Jesus has been raised from the dead and ascended into heaven. It sits at God's right hand, and heaven is his home. And because he is our representative there, because he is our substitute, our vicar, then his faithfulness counts for us, and we also consider heaven to be our home. And we're welcome where he is welcome. And his faithfulness is shared with us. And his faithfulness actually becomes ours, really and truly. It really makes a difference in our lives. <clears throat> Vicariously, through our spiritual union with him, we who once were called faithless are now, according to God's word, called faithful. We're called believers. As we, do, as we dwell on Christ's faithful love to us and to God, the Spirit grows the fruit of his faithfulness in us. His faith and his faithfulness become ours. So, as Joe read in uh, our Old Testament reading, 
Psalm 26 says, Your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. Not in my own faithfulness, in your faithfulness. And as uh, Paul writes in Galatians 2, verse 20, he says that the old unfaithful me has been crucified with Jesus. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faithfulness of the Son of God. It's with his faithfulness. I walk by your faithfulness. The faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So in us, that faithfulness is not perfect. It's not perfected. Not yet. But it's real. And it's ours. We do believe the gospel. We do hold fast to the truth of God's word. We do profess and proclaim it. We do live by Christ's own faith and faithfulness. When we face temptations and we face pressures to be unfaithful to God, to let go of God's word and embrace some counterfeit, some alternative, some rival for life, because of Jesus living in us and through us, we can persevere in faith and faithfulness. It's not just some difficult duty to be performed reluctantly. It's the faithfulness of love for God and the love for his word to us. And it's astonishing that the scriptures would so often, that they so often speak of our unfaithfulness, they would hold forth even the possibility of us becoming faithful in Christ. It's glorious that God's own life and character can be alive in us, that we can become like God. In his faithfulness, because of his spirit in us, it's, it's glorious that we can hold fast to the word of life, whatever may come, whatever tries to pry our fingers off of the word of life. It's wonderful to think that we could be faithful to the Lord and that our faithfulness might, might make a difference in our relationships here, right? in our marriages, the way we relate to one another in the church, in our families, with our friends, with our neighbors. Imagine how the faithfulness of God himself, alive in you through the Spirit, how this fruit of the Spirit grown in your life might be a blessing to others. When you cling to Jesus, when you hold fast to the word of life, when you bear faithful witness to God's truth, when you insist that God's reality is the best and that all alternatives lead only to death, that can be a life-giving, anchoring, beautiful, freeing gift of love. To everybody. Amen. <clears throat> Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who makes us alive with your own life. We thank you for being as faithful to us as you are to yourself, even though we've been unfaithful to you in so many ways every day. Please help us to hold fast to your word of life, even as Jesus himself has held fast to it and professed it through thick and thin. Please help us to bear faithful witness that your reality is best of all, no matter how we might be tempted to believe otherwise. We pray that you would make us faithful as you are faithful. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.